my name's Lucas. This is Ariana. Um, it's my wife, my lovely wife. Um, we're married. Our last name is Cheka. Um, so we, Ari's from Colorado. I'm from Minnesota. We both went to the U of M. Um, same, same, yeah, rep U of M. Now we're at Bethel. So, um, so we we met in Campus Outreach at the U of M. Um, and so we've been married for four years, just a little over four years, this last May. And uh, we've been at Bethel on staff with Campus Outreach for two and a half years. Um, and so we're really excited to be here and be a part of the Relationships Week and giving these talks. Um, we've never done this before, and so um, we'll see how it goes. You guys will let us know, but yeah. Yeah, we're excited. We love being married. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this mouse is not working. Click. Oh, that's us. Four years ago, when we were young babes. Um, yeah, we're really, we're really excited. We love being married. Um, obviously, it's not perfect, which we'll share a lot about. But I think one of our favorite things we love to talk about in marriage is, like, even just the concept of being one and what that means that two come together and form one. Even like the verses we read, um, breaking down hostility and making one. And so sometimes we talk about even the concept of like having kids, like literally it's half of us into one. So we, like a year ago, we're playing around and we're like, well, what would it look like if we had kids? So we did something to see what our kids would please, look like. Please, just please embrace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it took us. So here's the thing, Ari and I kept asking each other, who looks uglier here? <laughs> We both decided it's, it's Ari. But, but, but it's Lucas's face it's on me. Face. So it's technically, I don't know who from Bethel knows Daniel Rimrai, but Lucas kind of looks like Daniel yes. Rimrai. So if you don't know Snapchat, you can um, face off. That's face They know Snapchat, don't worry. But yeah, I'm kind of, I have Snapchat, I check it like every month. We gave you one more just um, for the fun of it. But yeah, here's one more to add the joy. <laughs> Our kids will be really yeah. attractive. Okay, I mean, it's, it's anyways, that's all for fun. Um, I'll move it to send a distract. Yeah, it's kind of gross. So we just want to give a little perspective before we dive in. Um, like we said, we're not perfect. There's, we've only been married for four years. There's no reason that we're up here as if we've arrived and we figured out marriage. Like, there's a lot we're still learning. Um, but we think that through the process of our past relationships, our relationship in dating, engagement, and marriage, um, a lot of our stories of ways we didn't care for each other well, and in ways that we felt like maybe we learned how to care for each other semi-well, um, just built a lot of biblical perspective. And so that's just a lot of things that we want to share, things we've learned through our story, and, and we're really excited. And so we also want you guys, before we jump in, to kind of think for yourself. Like, there might be a lot of you in here who are extremely excited, came down to Project because you've been wanting to find your spouse because you heard that's what happens at Project or something. And um, I would just say, like, maybe question and think through why would you be more excited about Relationships Week than the weeks that we've been talking about, the way that God has made us new and God has moved towards us when we don't deserve it. And so just looking at your heart there. And then even on the other end of the spectrum, there's probably a lot of hurts in here relationship-wise and thinking about all sorts of relationships. And so maybe coming in on the other end of like, I don't want to hear another talk from a married couple up front about relationships and maybe just thinking through some hurts there and being open to what God might have for you in here. We want you guys, we're really excited about relationships. Um, obviously, we love being married. 
Um, but we want you to be really excited and we, want, we just want you to be excited for the right reasons. So yeah, we also feel like it's kind of a daunting task. There's a, there's a lot to be said on relationships and we have two nights, thankfully. Um, but I don't think we're gonna cover everything and so if you guys have questions, like think of those, we're gonna have a Q&A tomorrow and there's a lot of staff, there's a lot of people dating, there's a lot of married people here and so um, like ask those questions to people. Like we, we wanna hear what you guys are thinking, how you're feeling um, and also, um, we want this to be positive. Um, we want you guys to be able to have like a stirred affection to pursue healthy relationships. We don't want you guys to have like a negative feeling about relationships, but like the, we think relationships are good. That's part of the reason why we're having these two talks. And so um, we're gonna jump into our talk. We have a lot to, to say. And so before that, just let me pray for us. Um, Father, um, we thank you so much. Um, for making us right with you through, through the blood of your son. And, and that's really our greatest need um, and what we're made for. Um, and, and yet you give good things like relationships. And, and so I pray that as R and I talk that you would um, um, show us more, more of yourself and, and give us more of a clear picture of what marriage is, um, what relationships are about. And I, just, I pray that, that you would be glorified in, in, in all of this. So in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So the first um, point is, I just took Ari's job. She's supposed to be the clicker when I'm talking. But the first point is the gospel. Like, let's start with the most important relationship. Um, and you guys were all singing this song when you came in. But what song was being sung right when most of you guys were coming in? That's Taylor Swift's song, right? Um, I, I don't know songs. I don't know lyrics. So Ari actually told me to put this song in, but I'm gonna start at the beginning of the song, I want you guys to finish it. I think the poteets usually do this, but here, here it goes. He knelt to the ground and pulled out a ring and said, Mary Jean's really yes, you never have to be There you go, alone. you guys got it. So, um, um, part of that song though, did you guys, what, did you guys pick up on that? Um, like she's saying that if you're married, then you don't have to be alone. Um, and so, like this idea of being alone, I think we're all so afraid of being alone. I mean, we even heard that in, in Jake's testimony. Um, and I think even the idea of just social media, um, the, the constant need to be in contact with another via Snapchat, Facebook, or even if you were to see a friend um, getting Snapchats and you're not, and you kind of feel a sense of loneliness. And I think um, Ari's chair is a little low. I was higher than you. Oh, never mind. Um, but this idea of, of feeling alone. Um, what day are you most excited to check your Facebook account? Birthday. Your birthday. Um, Ari's birthday was yesterday, and so I made sure I left the best birthday <coughs> post on her Facebook wall. It's actually the first one I've ever done. Um, but part of, the, part of what makes it so spe special on your Facebook birthday is that like, you're, you're having all these people say nice things about you. You're being known. Um, you're being recognized. And the ones that really mean a lot are the ones that are really going into detail, that say something a little bit more unique. Um, and so I think every one of us in this room wants to be known um, and wants to be loved. And, and Jake actually mentioned this in his testimony, but Eric and Holly talked about last year that everyone is looking for someone who is looking for you. Um, why, why is that? I think part of the reason is because we want someone to fully know us and to fully love us. Um, yet at the same time, like if we know ourselves, we're afraid of being known. 
because there's stuff going on in our heart. There's messiness there. Um, and so we're afraid that if this person fully knows me, are they going to love me? There's a um, clip we're going to watch that portrays this a little bit. So then we'll talk about it afterwards. emotional excitement all over the board and I think at first I was like oh they're young they don't know that marriage is disappointing but but actually as I thought about it more I'm, I'm like there might be something in their souls that is going on deeper than they might know so we're gonna walk through a little bit um why do you why is he a beast like, I mean, I'm not going to ask for response. That would take a while. I'm going to answer my own questions. But, like, he's a beast because even though he had everything he wanted, he was really selfish inside, right? And really prideful. And so the enchantress turned him into, to have his external look like what was actually going on on his internal. And that's what this quote is. Like, Jason Meyer, um, pastor, did this quote on um, the sermon, like, a couple of months ago. But anyways, it says, we are all spiritually unclean hard to read and turn. 
Uh, much worse than a skin condition, our disease goes much deeper to the core of who we are as children of wrath. The problem is that we fixate on the external. It is projected on the outside for all to see. We do a good job usually of hiding or in our internal uncleanliness. What if there is a video projector attached to your mind and heart that would play all of your secret envious thoughts, lustful thoughts, anxious thoughts, hope, hateful thoughts, angry cutting words, angry actions, one filthy thought or action after another, wouldn't you and people around you be repulsed? And I think that's just so accurate. Like people were repulsed by the beast. They were afraid to come because I mean, he, you saw him, he's terrifying looking. And that's us, this is us. Like the, we are the beasts of this story. We're the beast in <coughs> Beauty and the Beast. We're the one with leprosy, the external. Even though we may try to externally look really put together, we have really beastly sick hearts. So then the beautiful part about this love story though is that there's somebody, Belle, who loves the beast. And we love the story because it's like, she shouldn't love the beast. Like how beautiful that she loves him. That's our story. Jesus is Belle. Like Jesus loves us, the beast, even though we don't deserve it at all. And so as I'm like, I mean, even thinking about the theme of the song of the movie, Tale as Old as Time, it's like this is the story from the beginning of time. It makes me really wonder if the author or creator of the movie is a believer or not. But it's like tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Like they're borrowing from the true story. And if you think of every good fairy tale story out there, how does it end? They lived happily ever after. So then I was looking at Revelations 21, 1 through 4 to see what's the end of our story. And it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Dwelling place of God is with man. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. This is our ending. We live a fairy tale story. And every good book, every good movie, every good song, anything enjoyable out there, is just borrowing from the story that we live. Like this is, I get really excited. I love stories. We love movies and we love books. I'm like, we live a fairy tale story. This is insane. We get in Christ, we get to live forever. In Christ, though we are the beast, we get to be made into something new and beautiful because Jesus, our bell, came and loved us. And that's why we want to start here. That's why we don't want to dive into marriage and dating and all that stuff yet, because all of that is just a tiny, tiny glimpse of the fairy tale story you guys are invited to live into in Christ. So, just to go on that a little bit more, but we need Jesus more than a spouse. Um, going back to the fully loved, fully known and fully loved idea is that God knows you perfectly. Um, he knows that you're a beast. All the envious thoughts that you have, the cutting words and angry actions you do, He knows before you, He knows your thoughts before you say them. He knows your heart. Um, and yet, at the same time, he fully loves you. He loves the beast, just like Reed talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, how Jesus wants the rose. Um, the idea of us being fully known to the depth and, and just how we're, we're lawbreakers, our hearts are broken, how we've been unfaithful, um, and he knows that, and yet he still wants us. He still has given his son up for us. And so, as we dive into um, horizontal relationships this week, I think we need to get, we don't want to lose sight of the vertical relationship we have with Christ. And so, um, if you get anything out of tonight and tomorrow, like we, we really want you to get that you need Jesus more than a spouse, um, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or any, or any friendship. Um, and, and we want you guys to feel really excited about relationships. We think they're good. We, we're, we're married. Um, we love them. But... Like, just a comparative test between our relationship with Christ and this. It, do, it doesn't even come close. Um, Jesus is much better. We're made for him. 
And so we, we wanted to start off with that. So that's all way of intro. Now we'll move a little bit towards uh, marriage. So I'm gonna share a little fun story as we move towards marriage. Like he said, we've been married for four years. Um, on my wedding day, my mom was like, well, I was freaking out all the time for wedding planning about everything. But she was like, Ari, something always goes wrong on your wedding day. It's what makes your day special? And I was like, okay. But what went wrong my wedding day was not what I had in my mind to go wrong. Some of you know this story, so it's okay if you laugh along. So basically, this might show a little bit of our nerdy side too. When we were dating and engaged, Lucas said that I reminded him of the elves from Lord of the Rings. And <laughs> because I was like, the way I walked, I like, glided or something and I was like gentle and more composed and soft looking whatever we're nerds it's fine but um so I was like I want to be married outside like I love enchanted story stuff obviously and so I was like I want to be outside I don't care if it rains we're gonna be outside so we got this really pretty woods place um Nikki took our photos at a girl um, but then, so I got this song from Lord of the Rings, which unless you like are obsessed with Lord of the Rings, you would not know it's from Lord of the Rings because it's like this tiny little clip and it's like really angelic and doesn't sound like Lord of the Rings at all. So I was working with our sound guy, like do not let it get past this point. And we, I listened to it with him like 20 times because it goes right into the intro of Lord of the Rings theme song. So I was like, it must end right here. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. So I'm walking down, Lucas's eyes are red, and it's like super romantic, and then we get all the way to the altar, and the song is still playing, and so I look at the only other person up there who knows, which is one of Lucas's best friends, and he was like, and I'm like, okay, well I have two options. Either in the middle of my wedding day, I yell, or I just pretend and hope that nobody notices. And so slowly it goes. And my dad leans over and goes, Lord of the Rings. And I was like, my day's ruined. But it was still great. And I thought people would forget. But one of my friends told me last year, they're like, oh yeah, you did Lord of the Rings down I had no idea she was going to play that song. So that, when that theme song came out, I'm like, I was surprised too. Yeah, I was too. Um, <laughs> so, moving on, we're going to go into the marriage part. Um, so, our first point under marriage is marriage is not the mission. Um, so I see all of your heads go down, you're filling in the blank. Great. Um, so, my, our friend Greg Morris, he writes articles at Desiring God. He actually wrote an article that was... Well, there it goes. That was titled Marriage Without Mission. And so part of this is flavored from that. We really liked it. Yeah, so the first one under that is marriage is disappointing. Um, we already talked, mentioned this a little bit, but an example for us, we see this a lot, actually almost like on a weekly basis, probably more on a daily basis. But um, like we said, we love movies. And so one of the things we always look forward to for date nights is going to movies. We love to like talk after the movie about meaning of the movie and the depth behind it and what it's portraying. and get really excited about that stuff, but we're really sinful and selfish and we don't listen well to each other. So most of the time, we head into date night really excited, these high expectations to connect and bond. And then after movie, we end up fighting because we interpreted the movie differently and we're not listening to each other. We don't feel understood by each other. So that's just to show a small way over and over of how even the expectation, it's like, it's disappointing. We're sinful and that's a, a large reason why marriage is disappointing. Um, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I think hits at this a little bit too. It says, there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise 
in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And I just think that's true. Like, it's not bad to travel. It's not bad to want to fall in love. It's not bad to go to foreign countries and, or learn something new in and of itself, but it's disappointing. They're, what we're looking for in them is not going to satisfy. And that's the same for marriage. We would both say we love being married, and we would both say that marriage is definitely disappointing. So it's disappointing because we're sinful, and it's disappointing because it's not meant to satisfy us. So in one sense, it's like it should be disappointing. So our next point is Jesus is the mission. Um, so marriage is not the mission. Jesus is. And I think marriage is a great gift, um, and we're not made for that. Um, I think part of marriage, it's a, it's a pointer to the greatest relationship that we have. And so if my greatest need was Ariana, if she became my all, it would, it would, it would cause me to end up controlling her or controlling me. Um, I think a lot of ways it wouldn't be loving her, but really taking from, taking from her, kind of in a sense of drowning her. Um, Colossians 2.17 says, these are, the sh uh, are, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so the, sub the substance belongs to Christ. Um, the point is Christ, not marriage. Um, marriage is just a shadow. It's going to end. Like, R and I are not going to be married in heaven. Um, and so we're, we're made to worship God. We're made to know him and enjoy him um, and to glorify him. So our second point is marriage is being on mission together. Um, there's this article that Paul sent me like a couple months ago, um, Public T, on, and it was from gr uh, Growing Leaders, and it was on the TV show Bachelor and Biggest Loser. Raise your hand if you've seen Bachelor, The Bachelor. Some of you guys, a lot of girls. I've seen one episode, um, didn't enjoy it too much. Um, raise your hand if you've seen Biggest Loser. Okay, a lot of So you guys know these shows. Um, so what is The Bachelor all about? It's all about relationships. Um, it's about finding that perfect honk or Barbie and wooing them. Um, it's based on appearance and chemistry, compatibility, and The Biggest Loser is all about losing weight. It's about pr improving self um, and beating obesity. And so it's built on really building discipline and achieving a, go a goal. And so relationships in Bachelor are formed by pursuing each other. Um, and relationships in The Biggest Loser are formed from um, pursuing a common goal, of pursuing a, a goal together, not each other. And so there was a study on this, and they were saying, okay, which show produces healthier um, relationships, healthier marriages? And it wasn't even close. Biggest Loser did. Um, and so the point here that I have is that healthy relationships are formed from sharing a mission. And so like obviously our mission as Christians isn't just to pursue losing weight, but it's much more than that. So uh, we're made to do mission together. So we're going to get that from Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 33. So we're going to stay in the book of Ephesians. Um, and I mean, this is a pretty common passage, passage about marriage. And so I'll read it and then Ari and I will talk a little bit more about it. So wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, for the, for the husband is the head of of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each, of, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so, um, so I, don't, I don't know if I said the point. There it is. So marriage, our mission in marriage is not each other. Um, it's not about losing weight, but it's to image Christ in the church. So that's, that's the mystery. Um, the mystery of marriage is to image Christ in the church. And so um, I think Anne and Nirmal did a really good job of t- talking about how God designed men and women differently and equally to display himself. Um, and so they even had one line in there that I just want to quote. They said, you, you, don't, you do not need to be married to fully display God through your gender. And I thought that was really good. I don't think that's talked about that often. And so I really enjoyed that. And tonight, Ari and I are going to talk about what does that look like inside of marriage. And so this passage is here talking specifically about marriage. Um, and I mean, so God invite, invented marriage. It's his idea. It's not human, any human idea. And, and so we're going to see what our husbands called to in marriage. So husbands, um, we are called to give all of ourselves for her joy. So we see that here. Christ gave himself up um, for us, for the church, for his church who were unrighteous. Um, and he gave all of himself up for us. And so my call for Ariana is to give myself for her joy. I remember when um, it was actually my last summer training project and Ari and I were dating, and I was try- trying to figure out, like, okay, do I want to marry Ariana? And I'm gonna, we're going to share a lot more about our story tomorrow, if you're wondering where's their story. It's coming tomorrow, so you have to wait. But I remember Matt Reagan, he used to be on staff, and he, he had asked me um, this question. He said, Lucas, do you want to give yourself for Ariana's joy in Christ? Um, like, you're everything, your time, your money, your body, you're everything for her. And when he asked me that question, I, it was really helpful for me to think about, okay, what... Like, what would it look like inside of marriage? And, and when he asked me that, it was like, yes, I do. Um, and it was, it was easy for me to say yes at that point. But, like, doing this isn't easy. Like, it's going to be hard. But that's, that's our call as, as husbands. And so, um, Joe Rigney, he's a pastor at the City's Church. St. Thomas, people know him. Um, he's their pastor. And so, he talks about marriage as a dance. He also talks about it as different ways, too. But... Ari and I are going to quote him on how he talks about it as a dance. And so this specifically is the husband's role in the dance. So in the dance, the husband leads the way. His hand gently, almost imperceptibly, moves the couple around the room. He's guiding. He's leading. He's anticipating. And he's doing so in such a way that most of his influence will be entirely unnoticed. And for the express purpose that no one will be watching him, and all eyes will be on his bride. His goal in the dance is to honor her, to showcase her, to allow her to flourish. This is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, Woman is the glory of man. A wife is the glory of her husband. She is his crown. I think this is just a really beautiful picture of what marriage looks like and what the dance looks like, even talking about marriage as a dance. Um, So 
So Ari, Ari is my crown. Like my role is to lead her in such a way that would honor her, to showcase her, to help her flourish. And like this is an exciting, exciting role. And there's some really sweet ways that Lucas does this in marriage. And I mean, even like my birthday yesterday, that he thought out specifically what I would enjoy for a date and had it planned. And so we went and we, we went to the beach and he brought books with and brought cribbage with and just fun things for me to enjoy. And I didn't have to ask any at any moment, like, what are we going to be doing? Like, I just trusted him and I was able to just go and enjoy and have lots of fun. And, and there's ways even like when we're fighting and it's 99% my fault that he'll apologize first and take the first step to move towards me. And that just softens my heart and helps me feel excited about moving back towards him. And he took the initiative there, even though I probably should apologize first because it was my fault. And even small ways that like, I hate spiders. And for me to be like, Lucas, come kill the spider. And he'll drop anything in a second and run over and kill it. Like, it's Helps a small out, way. Of spider, <laughs> if it was a snake, it'd be a different yeah, story. Yeah, I'd run. Um, <laughs> but it just shows, like, I mean, I, I feel protected. Like, I feel like he's providing for me, he's caring for me, he's thinking for me. And it just makes it really easy when I know he's for me. Um, so we're going to talk about the wives' side now. Wives, we are called to joyfully and attentively respond to his lead. Um, I know that when reading this, even the word submit comes up, that there's probably some hearts that get a little pricked in here. And, and I think Anne did a good job explaining, like, it makes sense why you guys would feel that way. Like, I really do think that the church hasn't addressed both sides of how submission has been unhealthily used or... I think submission has been very unhealthy with sin used inside of marriage and from both men and women manipulating things and stuff. And so I just I think I just want to make a few comments about the word submission before we move forward to see the wife side of the dance. But um, first of all, like this call wife to husband is a very specific call. Like I am not submitting to anybody else except Lucas and the Lord. Like I'm called as a wife to submit to my husband. And girls, you're not called to submit to any man. You're called to submit to your husband. Um, I think the second thing is that the image of submission is not played out just inside of marriage. Um, if you look at some of the verses around Ephesians 5 context there, it's really cool to see the way that Paul starts chapter 5 with calling the body of Christ to imi imitate Christ in the way that they love one another. And so there's a, a body sense of how can we show Christ to one another. And then there's an, even another sense of like children to parents, honor your father and mother. So just the way that there is a heart position between the wife to a husband, between the body of Christ to each other before the Lord, and even children to, to parents. So, um, and I think the sweetest picture of all of submission in the Bible is just Jesus himself. Like in Mark 14, 36, when he's about to go um, die on the cross, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you be done. Your will be done. And so he, he knew his father was for him. He trusted his father. He still made his requests known and asked, but at the end he still submitted to his father's will and moved forward. So that's a lot of stuff on submission. But the girl side of the dance, Joe Rigney, it says, what then about the wife? What is her role in the dance? Well, she follows her husband's lead. She submits to him because that's fitting in the Lord and in the dance. Her responsiveness to his leading is what makes it a dance and not two people yanking each other around a shiny floor. But in thinking about marriage in this way, it ought to become obvious that responding to your husband's initiative isn't about being passive, as though being a good wife means sitting there while he does all the work. 
as though following a man is somehow easy and mindless and demeaning. I read a good line about this earlier this week. Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did except backwards and in heels. There's no passivity here. The kind of responding and receiving that a wife is called to is lively and active, not limp. She's firm, alert, and responsive. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were like iconic dance partners in motion pictures back in like the 1930s. So they were an image of what it means to dance and dance well. And so she's doing every move that Fred Astaire's doing, but she's doing it backwards and in heels. So I think that just shows like it's not, which was even helpful when Lucas and I went through this and got to talk about marriage. It's like my role is not to just sit here and let him do everything and then just passively get pulled along. Like that's a terrible dance to watch. But it's about being alert and joyfully attentive of like, he pulls my arm and I take a step in that direction. You know, it takes two parts to dance together, and, and it's exciting, it's more fun, and it portrays a really sweet dance. So yeah, I think Ariana makes it really easy for me to lead and, and initiate towards her. Um, and so, like, I see this when she affirms my leadership, and it even encourages me when I'm, I'm not even wanting to do some of those things. And, and I think the idea of just dancing backward, that's, that's more difficult than the regular dancing. Um, and it's not easy nor passive. Um, and I think when I, I feel this from her, like sometimes I feel like I'm Superman and I can go outside and conquer anything. Um, it's just, it, I don't know, it's just a funny and weird picture, I guess. But um, then we have dancing together. So part, yeah, those are two parts, but it, the marriage is to dance together. And we didn't put this up there, but Joe Rigney's part for dancing together says, dancing well, elegantly moving around the floor takes effort and discipline and concentration, but it's a glad effort. And I think that makes sense for even for marriage. It's like marriage takes effort and discipline and concentration, but it's a glad effort. Um, and that's what we love is that our mission in being married is to portray that we are a beast that somebody fully knew and fully loved, and we know that message. So whether we're married or single or dating, like the rest of our life, our mission is to help people who are out there looking for someone looking for them and be able to say, we know who's looking for you, we know that you're a beast, and we know the bell that can come and love you. And so in our marriage, how we dance together gets to paint that picture to the rest of the world. It's like, what better mission is there? That's really exciting. Um, I think one of my favorite stories that really helped this dance play out from my heart. Um, it also might show a little bit about the beast of my heart, but it's fine. So I think our first year of marriage, I lost the honeymoon stage and started to realize marriage is disappointing. Um, I, I just was so irritated by everything Lucas did. I love you, babe. But I was like, I hate the way you eat cereal. I hate the way that you clink your spoon. Like, I hate the way you walk around the house with your heels first. I hate the way you stand because it makes you look bigger than you actually are. Like, it's really sad. Um, and it's, it's funny now because we've walked through it. Um, but, it. but this shows, like, my heart, like, my beastly heart that I was so irritated by every little thing about the person that I love the most in this world. And, and I was afraid to tell him because I'm like, if I really were to tell him what I'm thinking, he's probably going to want to leave me. And so he asked because he knew something's going on. And so part of my responding to him and being attentive and caring for him was to be vulnerable and let him in and invite him into what was really going on in my head and my heart. So I told him, I basically hate everything about you. And, and I was, I mean, he looked really sad, which makes sense. And I was expecting him to be like, you're crazy and I hate you and we're never hanging out again. But he instead, like, he picked me up. He, he didn't say anything. He picked me up, he took me to our bedroom. He put me on the bed and he just gave me a back massage. And I just wept. 
and because I thought, I don't deserve this at all. Like, not even near close to deserve this. And why are you responding like this? You have every right to tell me that you hate me for the things I just said to you, but instead you chose to serve me. And in sitting there, I was weeping because it was really sweet, but I was weeping even more because I thought, this is what grace really feels like. This is what it feels like to really, I do worse to the Lord, and yet he would choose to send his son to die and serve me. Like, this is just a beautiful picture. And so a way when the dance really does play out well, we're not the best dancing in marriage, we're not the best dancers in general, but when we do dance really well, like, it serves both of our hearts and it serves people who get to look into our marriage. So um, moving on, we have a few principles on marriage. Um, and so the first one is two biblical prerequisites. And there's really two things the Bible says about being married. Um, and the first one, it must be to someone of the opposite sex. Um, and just a side note here, um, Ari and I are just fully acknowledge that some of you in this room um, might not even find the opposite sex attractive and that you may su struggle with same-sex attraction. And some of you even might have the desire to be married and yet aren't attracted to the opposite sex. And, and even attending this talk could be really, really hard for you. And so I think the church has done a pretty poor job at leaning in on this. And so our desire for you is to engage your feelings in this matter and, and bring others in the process um, if you haven't done so already and, and feel comfortable doing so. Um, but so Genesis 2.24 um, says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, and so God, he's, we, we already talked a lot about this already, but God designed marriage in this way, um, between a man and a woman, to image Christ in the church. And I think, um, just to steal Anna Nermal's talk a little bit, but um, Nermal said that, that guys um, do so by revealing the incarnational pursuit of God, and girls do so by um, portraying the invitational beauty of God. And we have an otherness here, uni uniqueness be between these two genders. And I think um, one way that God does this is that he's joining two unique sides together to, to, to display a fuller picture of who God is. Um, and you see how marriage images Christ in the church. And I think relationships that are between a man and a man or a woman and a woman um, are missing a significant piece of experiencing and portraying the gospel to one another in the world. And so, um, yeah, so must be someone of the opposite sex. Um, the other biblical thing, the only other thing the Bible says about it is that it must be, like, must be a Christian. Second um, Corinthians six fourteen. Um, I don't know if we have that up there. Probably not. But it talks about not being unequally yoked. We oh, we do. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? So even thinking like, if God's design for marriage is to portray this image of Christ in the church, then that's my mission in marriage, is to be able to portray, I know the person who loved me as a beast, and I want the world to know that, then why would you marry someone who doesn't have the same mission as you? It just doesn't make sense. So, that point's pretty short. Um, the second practical or whatever principle thing we have under marriage, um, love is not a feeling, it is a commitment. Um, and under that, we have feelings come and go. So um, I remember one time John Piper had said, if his wife were to come home and say, Johnny, I think I'm in love with someone else, that he would say, 
So what? What does that have to do with anything? I don't. I can't do a Piper voice. I'm not even gonna try. But um, I just thought that was really sweet. Like he he wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. Blah, blah, blah. He was like, so what? Like we're committed in marriage. What does that have to do with anything that you feel like you might have fallen in love with somebody else? Um, and I think a lot of you in this room might feel like love is a feeling, and it's it's complicated with dating. And we'll talk a lot more tomorrow about how to process through feelings within dating and affection within dating. But inside marriage, like love is the fact that we're committed to each other, not how we feel. One of the phrases we use, I use often with Lucas, is that I love you, Lucas, but I don't like you very much right now. And it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's also to show like, I'm committed to you, I'm not going anywhere, but I don't wanna to talk to you and don't touch me. Um, so, and, and on the other side, like, I want you guys to know feelings and affection do matter. Like, in that moment, there's something sick going on with my heart, and I should be affectionate towards my husband, and I need to repent of, and work through things in that moment. I don't want you guys to feel like in marriage it's just commitment, like, oh, I love you, Lucas, and that's it. Like, there is affection and desire, but that fuels and comes from commitment, which is the next point under there, that the commitment love fuels feelings and affection. It's not the other way around. And this is the gospel. I really want you guys to know this. I think it's hard for us when we feel like, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm enjoying God right now. That doesn't change the fact that he's committed to us. Like, that is the gospel. He wanted us when we didn't have any feelings towards him. Why would he cease to care for us now when we're wrestling through trying to be affectionate towards him? And so in those moments, we should run to see how he's been so committed to us, and affection and feelings will stir even more. So dive more into his word, dive more into the body of Christ, and I bet you affections would follow. So our next point, um, the moment you've all been waiting for, is sex is God's design. Just kidding. Um, but it is God's design. Is, yeah, that is not <laughs> the moment that all of you have been waiting for. But, uh, so first we're going to talk about what does the culture say about sex? Um, I think we get a really, like, a consumer mentality. Oh, this mic keeps dropping. But we get a consumer mentality, so you get what you want when you want it. Um, it's using this uh, another person for your own sexual desires. It's taking. Um, I think most of you in this room, I mean, maybe perhaps all of you in this room, have some kind of distorted view of sex, um, whether that's an, an abusive, a taking way, or that sex is is evil, it's, it's, it's not good, it's just not even a, a thing that you'd ever want. Um, and, and so this is one of the reasons why we want to spend two nights, um, or one of the reasons why we want to, want to talk about sex. Um, we want to start that redemption process to see what the Bible says about sex. How does God talk about sex? And so um, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, and I'll read that, and then we'll talk about it. Um, so now, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her, her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then com come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So the first point we have here is it's between a husband and wife. Um, so 1 Corinthians 7, the, the first two verses there talk about that, and 
Um, so sex should be with one husband and one wife. Um, outside of marriage, it says it is forbidden. But the sweet thing is that inside of marriage, it's, it's actually commanded. Which it's, might seem kind of weird that the Bible is commanding you to have sex in marriage. I thought it was weird when I read it when I wasn't married. Now I feel like it makes a lot of sense because I'm married. Um, but I think because what it is is it's a, the selfish heart is the same. So when you're not married, your selfish heart is, I want what I want. I don't care that God tells me not to do this. I, I don't care that it would not be faithful and I don't care what it does to this other person. I want it and I'm gonna get it. Where inside of marriage, it's like, I don't want to have sex because I'm tired. I don't want to have sex because it's going to be a lot of work. I don't want to have, like, it's the same selfish heart and not counting the other person more significant. Um, the, second, the second point we have is it's selfless. And so we see that we're called to give, um, giving of one self, oneself to the other. Um, like, my body's no longer mine. Um, we're called to not withhold from each other. The next point is intimate. Intimate. Um, you guys know the first time it talks about sex in the Bible, the word that it uses for Adam and Eve? Knew, known, yeah, something like that. So it says, now Adam knew his wife, that's K-N-E-W, not our theme knew, um, knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. So I just thought that was so cool. It, was, it didn't say now Adam had sex with his wife and they had a baby. It said Adam knew his wife and knew meaning like, had relations with his wife, to know her, to see her, to understand her. Um, we have a movie clip for this, don't worry, it's appropriate. This is Charlie's favorite movie. This is Not, you, maybe Charlie. he likes it a lot. Because of this concept. Oh. It's going, it's going. Go ahead. I, I heard it, I heard it. <laughs> Um, if anyone in here has not seen Avatar, that was probably the weirdest thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I didn't give any disclaimer, I just showed it. But anyways, 
that scene is, it's actually called the love scene of Avatar. Like, and nothing physical happens there, minus the fact that she's huge and holding this tiny little boy and like, touches her face. But otherwise, it's like, it's super intimate because, I mean, the background of the story helps too, but because the, the, even the way they say like, I see you, like I know you, I'm near to you, I understand you. And I just think that's super sweet. And that's one of my favorite things about sex is that it's about knowing each other more. It's about growing in intimacy with each other. And I was always afraid like, oh, the first year of sex is gonna be great and then it's gonna go downhill because that's how movies and stuff portray it, which I don't know if that's true, but. Um, but that's not, like it's, we, we're enjoying sex more because we are more intimate and knowing each other more four years in, and I hope four more years from now, and I think it will be true that we will even be more intimate because of it. Um, I think some of you guys in this room have like a, have a view of sex um, that if you brought into marriage would be really destructive. Um, and so we hope that like there would be, like the, the reshaping process of how you view you sex would begin to be redeemed, um, and th and that might include repentance. That might re include like talking to people about it. But like this, this God's design for sex is really glorious and, and a much better inside marriage. Um, and so the last point that we have I already showed it. It's sex displays the gospel, um, and this is the most important one. And I think um, this idea of of marriage between be, being between Christ and the church. Um, Jesus coming to save his bride. He fully, he fully knows his bride. Um, our sin is exposed, and yet we are fully known, and he still chose to give himself, give himself up for us. Um, and I think this is just a beautiful picture. And so likewise, like Ari knows me more than anyone else. Um, like, she knows my sin, she knows my heart, she knows my evil thoughts. Um, and, and yet, when we're married, and even in sex, like the idea of being naked and exposed and, and ashamed is, is a place of safety. It's a place of being known, and yet there's, there's giving ourselves to one another for our joy. And I think, like, this is, it's a wonderful picture of the gospel, um, in, even in sex. Um, so, just a quick note on, on sex in general. And um, we. We know that some of you in this room might be feeling a lot of guilt or shame of things that you've done in the past. And, and I mean, that, that was me coming into marriage. And I just want you guys to know and remember, just even a couple nights ago, the video that Reed showed, that Je Jesus wants the rose. Like, there's no amount of things that you've done in your past that will run deeper than his mercy. His mercy runs deeper. Like, our God is super gracious and super good, and he, he needs just to forgive us um, and so he wants the beast, he wants the rose, um, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that um, tomorrow night, um, but we thought we'd, we'd mention a little bit tonight. So our fourth point under marriage um, principles is that divorce distorts the gospel image of Christ in the church. Um, this is one of the main reasons why we spend two nights on relationships. Um, Statistically, most of you in this room are going to be married, and according to marriage101.org, 40 to 50% of you will be divorced, um, and that's just really sad, and that's not just outside of Christian marriages, but that's inside of Christian marriages, um, and that means about half of this room, um, so we want to take this really seriously, 
And so hopefully over tonight and tomorrow night, we're helping you guys get a biblical perspective of what marriage looks like. And as we're doing this, we want to share real stories with you to talk about our marriage. Like for the guys in my D group, the girls in RSD group, like they know a lot about our marriage, maybe more than they want to know. Um, but part of that is because we want to display what real marriage looks like um, in, a, in a healthy way. And so we also acknowledge that a lot of you in this room have been affected by divorce. Um, and, and that just, that sucks. And so that's one, I mean, we want to talk about divorce. Yeah. Both of our parents are divorced and it just, it sucks. Like it really affects our family's dynamics and it's just hard. And so we know there's everyone probably in here is knows somebody in their life that's divorced. And that's why we really want to help on the front end, get as much biblical perspective to hopefully have you guys have long, thriving, awesome marriages if you're married. Um, so Mark 10, seven through nine, I don't, oh, I think we put it up there, yep. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So these are Jesus' words. Um, and he's saying, if my father, if God, if we have brought something together, do not let someone separate. And biblically, there are a few exceptions um, about non-believing spouses who want to leave and persist in abuse. And, and there's a lot we could say about that stuff. So if you have questions, you can talk to any staff um, about that. And but we don't have time to touch on all of it. So um, I just wanted to let you know that there's there's some other stuff in the Bible. Um, if And I think it is just helpful because going back to, again, what we're talking about with the mission of marriage, like if the mission of our marriage is to display God's covenant love towards his people who don't deserve it, just think of the message that it displays if when I don't feel like it, I leave Lucas, or when something else comes up, we can leave. And I think that's why we chose to word it, it distorts the gospel image, because God doesn't do that to his people. And if marriage is God's design so that he can show I'm committed to people who don't deserve it, then we are hoping and fighting and praying that our marriage will stay together forever so we can communicate to the rest of the world that though our feelings are not always there because we're sinful, we're committed to each other. And so, I mean, Ari and I, um, like we talked about how divorce isn't an option. Like we don't, we, we want that word removed from our vocabulary. And so our aim in our marriage is to, no matter what happens between her and I, that we're gonna remain committed to one another. And even thinking about the gospel, like I continuously sin and yet Christ is still there. Like he's, um, he's not gonna leave me nor forsake me. Um, and, and marriage is a picture of that. And so um, my aim is no matter what happens, like I'm gonna be committed to her. And um, there's a lot more that could be said on divorce. I'm sure every story in here is really different too. And so if you have more questions or wanna talk with people, I'm sure almost anyone in this room would wanna listen. Um, but we talk about it because we just don't want you guys to think that you're above this. And we don't wanna think that we're above it either just because we're Christians or inside of a community. Um, no one is standing at the altar thinking that in a couple years they're gonna leave each other. So something happens along the way or in their heart throughout the whole process, which is what leads to point five for us that community is needed for healthy marriages. Um, this last couple of years, my dad just left my mom and he like led our whole family and family devotions and lectured my sister when she wanted to get divorced and like was leading our family as this Christian leader and then chose to leave my mom. And so it's been, I mean, there's a lot that I'm still trying to process through all of it, um, but I think one of the, the biggest things Lucas and I have learned as we've walked through this with my dad and mom is that 
Like we, no matter what, no matter where we are in, in our life, even if we're across the world, we will always have someone else looking in on our marriage and speaking into our lives. And I know we talk a ton about community with you guys, and we just want you to know community doesn't end when you get married. Like Lucas is not my only source of community. That would be really bad because 99% of the time he's my biggest problem. So if I take it to him, like, it's not gonna solve anything. Um, and I think it's just helpful because otherwise that's where darkness happens and that's where things grow and that's where one look at another woman becomes multiple times that my dad cheated on my mom because he would not submit to dying to his pride to let someone else see into his life and tell him, hey, you shouldn't do this or hey, what about this and speak in. And so we don't want that for you guys. We don't want that for ourselves. And so we're sick. Our hearts are wicked. We're deceitful. And that's why we at all times need other godly people who are going to look in and speak in. And, and we have God's spirit and we have God's people and we have to plan to stick around the community and we hope that through that it will help protect us and you guys from divorce. Um, so one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about marriage first is because in dating, um, dating you're trying to figure out, do you want, like, am I going to marry this person? And so to give you a foundation and a more clear picture of what marriage is, that's why we started with it. And so tomorrow night we're going to be talking about um, dating and friendships. And so if you get anything out of tonight, it would be the, the main two points that we want you guys to know is that um, Jesus is the mission. Um, that's what we really need. And, and secondly, marriage is about being on mission together, displaying who Jesus is, um, that, that between Christ and the church. And so I think it's a beautiful thing. We love being married. If you guys have questions, um, we'd love to talk to you more about that. And so I'm just going to close us in prayer, and then the worship team can come up. Um, Father, um, we thank you so much for um, the way that um, you sent your son, Jesus, and yet we were the beast. Um, we played the whore, um, and yet um, your son was crucified for us so that we could be made right. So our greatest need in life was to be redeemed, was to be forgiven, and no spouse can do that. Um, no relationship can redeem us, and, and yet you've done that for us. And so that even in marriages or relationships, um, we, we don't need one another, but we can give to one another because all of our needs have been met. Um, and so I pray that um, you'd begin to shift uh, perspectives on this and, and all the things that we talked about and that you would be worshipped, you'd be made known more. So in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.